0: open our Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. Once again, Jonah chapter 1. This morning we will look at verses 4 to 17. Jonah 1 verses 4 to 17. Well, you wouldn't know it by my kind and gentle face, but as a boy I was very mischievous. And so my brother and I shared a room growing up, my younger brother, and... As an example of total depravity, nothing gave me greater joy than being able to terrify my little brother. And so I would tell him things like, uh, you're you're stuffed animals, their eyes are watching you. (laughs) And then in order to give him some comfort, my mom, she thought it was a great idea. She was an artist. She drew a clown on the underside of my bunk bed so that when he looked up, he could see this clown. (laughs) And be happy and not afraid. And I would tell him, that clown is watching you <laughs> while you sleep. <laughs> and occasionally when the winds would pick up outside, there would be some scratching on the windows, and I would say, it's a witch's fingernails scratching on the window. And you know, I knew it was, I knew it was the branches of a tree that was scratching, but sometimes I would get creeped out myself a little bit. It tricked me a little bit. So I never actually confessed that to my brother, that, you know, as mean as I was and as afraid as I would make him, that sometimes I was afraid of my own tricks. Well, some fears are irrational, like the the tree branches scratching the windows, like stuffed animals looking at you. Some fears are irrational. Some are not irrational, however. There are things which are great uh, and... and Fearful things in this world. There, there are. E- there is evil in this world. But what maybe we should consider is, well, what do we do in those times of great fear? Kids, think about this. When a storm comes and you are frightened, the thunder uh, is so loud that it shakes your house, and the lightning comes down. What do you do in those moments? You may grab a blanket, and it gives you great comfort. You may. Run into your parents' rooms and they cuddle you and they, they comfort you and you feel the warmth of their embrace. You may hold their hands. You may cover your eyes and snuggle up in your bed. Well, I, I want to encourage you kids, if you're listening, to do something else in addition to those things. You don't have to stop doing those things. But as you cuddle that blankie, let it remind you of the warmth of our Heavenly Father who hears our prayers and comforts us when we are afraid. As you hold your mother's hand in the midst of being afraid, let it remind you that you have a God who cares deeply about you even more than your mother does and is able to care for you even better than your father is. When I was young, I memorized Psalm 56.3. In the King James Version, it kind of rhymes, so it sticks in your mind really well. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Psalm 56.3. In God, in whose word I praise, in God whom I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Adults are afraid too, aren't we? We have other fears. Some irrational and yet some rational. Maybe you fear losing important relationships. You fear losing loved ones. You fear losing parents. Parents you fear losing your kids. Either to some, some tragedy or that they would wander their own way. Away from the faith. Away from the Lord. We fear getting a terminal illness, losing your job or becoming homeless. Maybe you're afraid of losing your faith. But again, what is needed here is something greater than our fear, ultimately. We need a God who is greater than all of our fears. This is one of the truths we're reminded of in this passage, that God is greater than all of our fears. And He alone is to be feared. And it's only when you understand this that you're able to begin overcoming some of those fears. If God is for us, well then who can be against us? If, if the Lord is on my side, whom shall I fear? God is great. He is sovereign, as Gary reminded us, and He is greater than all your fears. Embrace that truth this morning. Embrace Trust in the sovereign God. Let's look at our passage together. Jonah 1, 4 through 17. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Dear Father, we pray that you would calm our fears with the knowledge of your sovereignty and of your fatherly love for your children. Use your word now to nourish us, convict us of sin, and bind us up with the good news of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Up to this point in our story, Jonah has done everything he could to do the exact opposite of what God had instructed him to do. He's in a state of rebellion and disobedience. And yet, God providentially allows him to go to Joppa and to find a ship going to Tarshish. It seems like all of his plans are being established, but all that changes quickly as as the Lord Cast down a great wind upon the sea, and a great storm comes about. We can see the intensity of this storm by how the author describes the sailors and also their ship. By way of personification, he says that the ship itself was thinking about breaking to pieces. It's like when you've ridden an old wooden roller coaster. The forces are pressing against it, and the speed of the cars makes the wood creak with each twist and turn as if it's groaning under the load just ready to break apart and the sailors they've seen storms before but they are afraid maybe when they were on the, the shore the it seemed like a great day for sailing but out of nowhere this storm appears and their fear moves them to spiritual action and also to practical action each of them cries out to their own gods for rescue and they try to lighten the load by tossing out the goods they were carrying. It's amazing what people do when their lives are in danger, isn't it? As the saying goes, there are no atheists in foxholes. Cornell University behavior economist Brian Wainsink actually did some research on the truth of this statement. He examined World War II surveys and found that after a battle... A soldier's reliance on prayer rose from 32% to 74% as the battle intensified. And that's true of us too, isn't it? When things get bad, we pray. When things are good, we don't need anything or anyone. We're fine. We're self-sufficient. We're independent. But when things get bad, we come once again to God in prayer eagerly dependent on Him for our needs. And in those times of danger or trial, we'll also willingly part with our possessions if we can just live again. And what does this tell us about our own attachments to our world and our own dependence or lack thereof upon the Lord? Do we, do we need Thee every hour? lord or do we just need thee when the storm hits well at the same time all that this is happening the men are tossing their goods into the sea they're lifting up their hands in prayer to their gods jonah had gone down into the ship and dozed off into a deep sleep the captain goes down to him and i see it as a sort of rebuke what are you doing sleeper Arise, cry out to your God and maybe he will give us a thought so we don't die. You know you've gone to a bad place when an unbeliever exhorts you to prayer. Turn back to God. Cry out to your God. We're doing it with our gods. But Jonah's rebellion is further revealed, I think, in this and it is reinforced in the fact that Jonah still refuses to pray when the captain of the ship exhorts him to pray. Here you have these men praying to their foreign gods while Jonah is silently asleep. And even when they tell him to pray, he refuses. The Gentile has become a sort of prophet to the rebellious prophet here. But he and the other sailors only thought they were afraid. Because after Jonah tells them more of the story, they become even more afraid. Their fear intensifies. So the sailors have recognized this is no ordinary storm. There is some sort of supernatural storm going on here. They've recognized the divine nature of this storm and they figure that someone on board must have done something to offend some deity and they're all paying for it together. Well, let me stop at this moment for an aside and say that we are not at liberty to interpret providence in this way. And we're not at liberty to cast lots like they did to try to figure out who God is mad at. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could do that? This passage isn't justification for thinking in those ways. We don't know why storms hit certain places or why some people suffer and others don't. We shouldn't say, as some did, that storms hit New Orleans because of their rampant wickedness. Otherwise, what will we say to the the many starving Christians throughout the world? Why are they suffering? Many of these things are simply mysteries to us. We don't know. We do know that the nourishing rain falls on both the good and the wicked. That God's warm sunshine falls on those who are his and those who reject him. But the sailors cast lots, and God allows it to work. He shows that Jonah is the one to blame. So they ask him, where, what he does, where he's from, and why this calamity has come upon them. And you can imagine, maybe we've all been there in some sort. We've gone further than we intended to go into sin, into the depths, and jo- as Jonah does here, and he responds, I, I view it in a kind of sheepish way. I fear the God of the heavens. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. But notice a few things about Jonah's confession first. He says he fears the Lord, that is Yahweh, the God who is the great I am. This means he recognizes and confesses that he is completely at the disposal of God. Whatever whatever God desires, he will accomplish. He cannot escape, he cannot thwart, he cannot compete with this God. And so his running makes even less sense. To fear the Lord means you know you are completely dependent upon him for your very life, for your continued existence. And if you are going to live, it's because God wants you to live. It means you know he is the all-powerful God and he has complete freedom to do with you as desires. It It means you are completely dependent upon him if he is going to show you mercy or not. What or who does he fear? He fears the Lord God of heaven. So by this, Jonah is distinguishing his God from the other God that the sailors are calling out to. This is the Lord God of heaven. This is the one true God who made the sea, who made the dry land. By this he acknowledges God's sovereign control over the things he has made. The water they were on, the storm they were in the midst of, God was sovereign over it all. There's an article that came up recently by the late R.C. Sproul. And in that article he points out that Martin Luther made a distinction between what he calls servile fear and filial fear. Servile fear is, that, is fear is that fear a slave feels for an evil master. It's a feeling of dread, knowing that someone's in control of you and he desires to harm you. Filial fear refer, refers to that of a relationship of a child to a loving parent. Filial fear isn't the same as servile fear. A son fears his good father, not because he'll be beaten or tor- tortured or hurt in some way, but because he longs to honor the one he loves. He, he, he longs to give him the respect and honor which is due his name. He desires to bring honor to the name of the one who gives him love and security and provision now throughout these verses as we see this word fear come up this is the same word that is used throughout these verses but i do think we should distinguish between these sorts of fears the fe- the sailors fear the great storm even though they're skill- skilled at their craft jonah confesses that he fears the lord but his actions don't quite match up to his confession And then we read the sailors fear a great fear. They are even more terrified when they hear that Jonah is running from this sovereign God who made the sea and the dry land. So at this point, we should note this contrast. Jonah says he fears the Lord, but you wouldn't know it by the way he's acting. Even the sailors are surprised. He's running away from the God he loves, worships, reveres. What kind of sense does that make? But we know what kind of sense it makes, don't we? Consider for yourselves, brothers and sisters, how your confession matches up to your way of life or how it doesn't. After the Lord's Supper this morning, we will have a chance to confess together what we believe in the form of the Apostles' Creed. And let me say this, confessing these things together in and of itself is a good thing. By saying these things outwardly, we're actually working them into ourselves. We're working them into our hearts. So adults, teens, kids... I would encourage you to confess these truths with us even if you don't take the Lord's Supper. Kids, you might not be used to participating in our corporate worship, but during that Apostles' Creed, stand together with the Lord's people and confess these truths with us. But in the midst of those, we also must ask ourselves, is the confession of my lips matched by the confession of my life? In other words, do my actions line up with what I say I believe? We should spend some time reflecting on that, brothers and sisters. Otherwise, we'll be like Jonah, giving a false, seemingly false confession, bringing reproach upon the name of the Lord. But notice also that the sailors have fear. They fear the storm, verse 5, and then they fear a great fear, verse 10, when they hear that Jonah is running from the Lord. But they don't yet fear the Lord, as Jonah says he does. There's a difference between fearing your circumstances and fearing the Lord. And actually, I wonder if there might be an inverse relationship between the two. In other words, the more you fear the Lord, the less you will fear your circumstances. The less you fear the Lord, the more you will tend to fear your circumstances. So, brothers and sisters, what circumstances are you currently fearing? What are those fears deep in your heart? Fears for your family or friends, for your own financial stability. Fears for your future. And what would it look like for you instead of fearing your circumstances to fear the Lord God? The Lord God of heaven who created the sea and the dry land and this universe. In Acts 4, after Peter and John were preaching the gospel, they were arrested and solemnly warned, whatever you do, you cannot go on preaching this message about Jesus. Stop it. And imagine the fear they could have succumbed to, the fear you or, or me maybe would have fallen prey to. My heart beats really fast when a policeman gets behind me, even if I haven't done anything wrong. How much more then would I be afraid if I was actually arrested? Well, these men, instead of submitting to the fear of these authorities who were charging them unjustly, they submitted themselves to the fear of the Lord who controlled all their circumstances. And they replied, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, by this example. God is greater than your circumstances. And He's even in control of your circumstances. Take this truth to heart. He is the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land... And what's more, he is good. Infinitely good. He's more compassionate than you could imagine. But you have to decide, will you listen to the fears of your circumstances? Or will you listen to God? The sailors don't know what to do, so they ask Jonah. He's the one that got him into this mess, so he'll have to be... the one to get him out. They ask, what should we do to you that the storm will stop? And Jonah knew exactly what he should do. Uh, Jonah was the reason the Lord, uh, Jonah was fleeing the presence of the Lord, and that was the reason for the storm. So if you get him out of the boat, he reasoned, that will take care of the storm. The boat would be spared. And we have to speculate some on what exactly Jonah was thinking. Some have seen his confession here. I'm a Hebrew. Um, I fear the Lord God of heaven. They view his confession as an admission of guilt and his submission to the will of the Lord. I take a slightly different view. It doesn't seem like we see real humility here in Jonah. And he still hasn't even prayed to the Lord even though the captain exhorted him to. I kind of think, some speculation, but I think Jonah's so deep into his rebellion that he's decided he'd rather die than fulfill his role in preaching judgment to the Ninevites. And if his death will spare the sailors, then he's okay with that too. Sin can be like that sometimes. Sin can be so... Deceptive like that sometimes, where you don't see how it's possible for you to overcome certain sins, and it's almost as if you would rather die than have to go through a circumstance or let go of a certain sin your own rebelliousness. The sailors don't think that's a good idea. (laughs) We're not going to just throw you overboard into this storm. And so they dig their oars into the sea, trying, if at all possible, to make it back to the shore. But it's no use. It's only getting worse. There's no way they'll get out of it by mere force of will. And so look what they do. They've tried calling out to their gods. They've tried lightening their load by tossing over their own possessions. And they've tried with all their might to row through the storm. They turn to the wrong so-called deities. They turn to their own self-sufficiency and strength. None of that works. And now they do what Jonah refused to do. They cry out to Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. The name of Yahweh appears three times in verse 14. You can see it there translated as Lord. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They don't want to do as Jonah suggests, but they see no other way out. So they offer a prayer to the Lord, submitting to his will and what his prophet had said. So they pick him up, cast him into the sea, and the sea stops its raging. And it says, The men feared a great fear of the Lord. First they were afraid of the storm, then they feared a great fear, and now, having heard of the one true God and having seen his works, they fear a great fear of the Lord. Fascinating. Jonah confesses the fear of the Lord, and the author informs us that the men had great fear for the Lord. And what did it cause them to do? They sacrificed a sacrifice and they vowed vows to the Lord. They gave thanks to the God of heaven. I'm reminded of Psalm 107. Listen to this. Verse 23 and following. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of elders. When you see the powerful works of God and his sovereignty over all things, you're turned from fearing your circumstances to fearing the Lord God of heaven. They sacrificed a sacrifice and vowed vows to the Lord, but there was another sort of sacrifice that day, for Jonah went down into the sea, and the raging sea calmed down, and the men were spared. seems even the rebellious prophet of God has trouble not being a prophet of God. His prophecy came true, and because of it, idolaters feared Yahweh. And it's a good illustration, this, this episode here at the end, it's a good illustration of another man who was sacrificed so a storm might cease. You know the story, though. This was no ordinary human, not merely a prophet of God, but truly God and truly human, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And the storm wasn't raging wind and waves on the sea, but the raging of God's wrath due to sinners do to you and me because of our rebellion against God. Because of our own Jonah-esque rebellion. But unlike Jonah, Jesus was fully obedient to the Lord, fully in line with the will of his heavenly Father. Jesus, too, made a downward descent, but his was not in disobedience to the Lord, but in obedience. His was a descent down to earth, down to become a man, down to being a servant, and down all the way to the shameful death on a cross. And he even went down to the grave. And he did it all so that the raging of God's wrath against us might cease. And it has ceased, brothers and sisters, for all of you who have clinged to Christ in faith. God's raging against you has ceased just as the storm ceased that day. For those of you who trust in Jesus Christ, God's Son, receiving His Spirit and everlasting life. When Jesus died on the cross, the centurion guard cried out, Surely this was the Son of God. And as we consider our Lord upon the cross, we ought to be humbled by His mercy to us. We ought to be moved To joyfully fear the Lord. Not as slaves who are terrified of, uh, of a harsh master, but as sons and daughters of the Most High God who holds our lives in His hands. As those who know His power and His majesty and His love. So then, brothers and sisters, what is it that you fear? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, adults and teenagers and children. All you people fear the Lord, for He is the God of heaven. He has made the sea and the dry land. He has made all things, and He is good. And He has chosen to give mercy to you, His little children, in spite of our sin. In spite of your rebellion, in spite of your own stubbornness, all His love is here for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Fear the Lord, for he is greater than any trouble in this world. Let us pray together.